We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. We are going to be in Nehemiah today. Word of Nehemiah, the son of Halkiah. It came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in their province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night. For the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you, have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances, which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather there, I'm sorry, I'll gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, I pray, please, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. I invite you to turn to 1 Timothy this evening, 1 Timothy chapter 4, and uh, we'll be picking up where we left off last time in verse 11, 11 to 16, verses 11 to 16 are really uh, one section, but we're going to uh, categorize or sub, subsection that up, that is, into uh, sections here, and beginning in verses 11 and 12, it will be the primary, where we give our primary attention this evening. 
But uh, as a reminder, uh, in the previous messages, we looked at verses 6 through, through 10, and we saw there that a good minister teaches the word, trains in godliness, personally, that is, trains himself in godliness, and labors diligently in, in the work, in the ministry. And let me just read those verses to you again as they transition to our section this evening, beginning back in verse 6. Paul writes this to Timothy, if you instruct the brethren in these things, that is, everything up until now in the letter, including uh, the first four verses or five verses of that chapter, if you instruct the brethren in these things, Paul says, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished, or I think a better translation is trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables, and exercise yourself toward godliness. And then he gives us the reason why. For bodily exercise profits a little. It has some value, but it's limited in duration, we'll see, because it's only for this world. Rather, godliness, he says, has the promise of the life that is now, the present life, and of that which is to come. And so it's not as if bodily exercise has no value, but it has a kind of temporal value. Its, its duration is limited in that it has no value in, in the eternal life and much less value in, in the present life as well. Then verse 9, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end, Paul writes, we both labor and suffer reproach. He gives us the reason why, because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. And then Paul writes in verse 11, These things command and teach. Verse 12, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, speaking of Timothy, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Then verse 16, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in this, in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. In our message this evening, we'll focus on verses 11 and 12. And I titled this message, Effective Pastoral Ministry. Effective Pastoral Ministry. And I think we learn from the section at large, that is 11 through 16, but even in the first two verses, that a good minister continuously watches his conduct and his teaching in order to save himself and others. And we'll make that connection later on with verse 16, which we won't get to this evening. But uh, again, as I said, this is one kind of whole section that we're subdividing up into smaller uh, bite-sized pieces. And so this evening we'll focus on these two truths, that a good minister is one who ministers through commanding and teaching. We see this in verse 11. And then in verse 2, He ministers by example. 
He ministers by, through commanding and teaching, and secondly, he ministers by example. And this leads then to effective ministry in the pastorate, if these two things, amongst others, are done. And as I said, verse 11 here functions as kind of the transition between verses 6 to 10 and 12 to 16. And the instruction to Timothy is to command and teach these things. From the immediate context, we gather that Timothy is to warn the church against the errors of asceticism, verses 1 to 5, such as prohibiting marriage or eating certain kinds of food. Rather, in contrast, Timothy is to instruct the believers to receive food with thanksgiving on the basis that that food is sanctified by God's word. Remember, God said that it was good. He bases this in the creation account that all that God created was good. We also know from uh, later sections of scripture, even uh, the instance with Peter and the, you know, the food, the uh, animal is coming down, saying that now this is good, it's sanctified, you know, what God has called uh, clean, do not call common or unclean. And so Paul is to instruct them to receive this food with thanksgiving on the basis of the fact that it's sanctified by the word of God and through the prayers of thanksgiving. However, uh, when Paul says to teach these things, he's not referring just to verses 1 to 5. I think it includes all that Paul has written up to this point in the letter, going all the way back really to chapter 2, where he starts in instructions about church conduct, how women are to behave in the church, how men are to pray, and then into how the church leadership is to, to conduct themselves, what are the qualifications for elders and deacons, so on and so forth. So it encompasses all of these things. Whenever Paul says in this letter, teach these things, it's not just the immediate context, but really the broader context of the letter. Now we're going to look at both of these commands, both in in part, in their parts, to command and to teach in verse 11. And first, we look at this idea of command. To command is a term of authority by nature. You know, someone in the army, you know, someone that leads in the army is a commander, right? He's, he's the one who sets the rules that, are to be, that you're to abide by. He is the commander. He's the rule giver, the rule enforcer. And by nature, then, this idea of command is, is authoritative in, in nature. Paul instructs Timothy to only to teach, but not only to teach, but command acceptance of Paul's teachings. These are not simply suggestions for the church, they are the rules derived from the word of God, coming from the word of God, coming, being God-breathed, as it were, and the people were to accept this from Timothy. Especially as an apostolic representative and minister of Christ Jesus, Timothy was charged to guard the church from heresy, and so then, you know, inherently this required him to, to command Uh, command the false teachers to cease and desist from their teaching, but also command the believers to not apostatize by following after these fables, these myths, these false teachings. Rather, continue on, persevere in the faith. Of course, today there are not, uh, there are no more apostles. We don't believe that. We believe that that office has concluded, it ceased to exist. Furthermore, there's no apostolic representatives. There's no more Timothys. However, there, are, there is the office of pastor today, 
and that is the kind of ruling office of this age. So it is the pastor's duty to protect the church from anything that will disunify it or, or uh, propagate anything that is contrary to biblical truth. So he has the right and the responsibility as a minister of Christ then to, to, uh, to command certain directives, to command certain things, to prohibit certain things in the church. Of course, ultimately, the word of God is our authority, but God gives churches pastors to communicate its directives and instructions. And so, therefore, the pastor is to speak authoritatively regarding these matters. In contrast, the the pastor should not allow the propagation of human philosophy, moralism, licentiousness, asceticism, legalism, prosperity movements, universalism, any kind of false teaching, any kind of false doctrine, the pastor should not allow, must not allow the church uh, to propagate or to, to listen to or accept. I mean, certainly he shouldn't be propagating that himself in the pulpit or, or in a discipleship or whatever it may be, but he is to also guard it, guard the church from anyone else who wants to propagate these things. And so he is required and he is obligated then to command and to teach against these things and for what is right. When such teachings exist in the church, or maybe they don't exist in the church, but they even they pose a danger from outside of the church, if this exists, then the pastor is obligated to refute these things through the directives and commands found in the word of God. Address them. Again, they may not be in the church, but if they pose a danger to the church, because you know, we have access to all kinds of teaching today online, you know, live streaming, radio, Facebook, anywhere else you want to get it. If, if there's a well-known preacher out there or you know, professed preacher, proclaimer of God's word, who the pastor knows could influence the church, then he has the responsibility to even call that person out at times when it's appropriate in order to guard the church from, from being taken captive by their teaching. The pastor must do this boldly, authoritatively, at the same time not allowing himself to be haughty, ungracious, or ungentle. Look at, for instance, 2 Timothy chapter 2. We learn this, this principle, this truth from this passage, that although he speaks authoritatively, he's not to, to be rude, to be uh, unkind. Rather, uh, 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 uh, through 26 tell us this. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle, gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Certainly that was the case in uh, Ephesus. There were many who were in opposition to what Timothy and Paul were, were teaching. If God perhaps, and here's the reason we should conduct ourselves in this way, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, that is the snare that they're in, these false teachers, and any others who are following their path, they're in the snare of the devil. Remember uh, what Paul said about that to Timothy. They, they're, they're listening to doctrines of demons. 
And so he says uh, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And so, yes, the pastor is to speak authoritatively on these matters, yet he is to, to also do it with a spirit of gentleness, not being proud, but gracious. We see a second command here in verse 11. He's not only to command, but to teach. And maybe at first glance, we don't make much of a distinction between the two, but I think there is enough of a distinction to to note it. To teach suggests that Timothy is to positively set forth sound doctrine. So whereas command kind of has a negative connotation where, you know, to stop something from happening or to tell someone to stop doing something, Rather, to teach is to kind of encourage certain behavior, certain thinking, proper conduct, proper doctrine, sound doctrine. The idea here is that the best antidote to false teaching is sound doctrine. The best antidote to false teaching is sound doctrine. Some may ask why most of our meetings, meaning here at Fellowship Bible Church, why, why most of our meetings consist of teaching and preaching. I mean, think about it. Sunday morning, we give ourselves to a number of, of hours to teaching and preaching and, of course, other elements to the service. Sunday evening, of course, we teach. Wednesday evening, we have prayer, but we even have some teaching then. Saturday mornings, of course, we have the men's Bible study and prayer. Why, why, why make such a... Uh, why show, show so careful attention to including teaching and preaching in all of these services. You know, all of our weekly gatherings consist of some measure of teaching, including, as I said, our Wednesday evening prayer. And it's because of this. We believe that God's word is central to the life of the church and its individual believers, as it gives everything necessary for life and godliness, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. We also know that it is profitable for instruction, doctrine, reproof, correction, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, 2 Timothy 3.16. And that's why we put such a prominence on this. You know, we could just have a time of prayer on Wednesday night, and I think that would be appropriate. It would be fine, but yet we need that constant teaching from God's word. We need those reminders, not just Sunday, not just, uh, you know, for one dose a week to get us through we need to continually be taught the word. And so we, we put it on such a level of importance that we include it in most of our services, if not all of them. In fact, here at Fellowship Bible Church, I'm not sure if you're aware, you're aware of this on our website, we call out as one of our core beliefs, Scripture's authority and its preeminence or prominence in church life. I take this this quote from our church website and under our core beliefs, we say this, the Bible is sufficient for life and godliness. We are thankful that God has given us the Bible and several good English translations we can use today. We endeavor to make the Bible our rule for living in practice, not just in theory. We believe in the unqualified acceptance of and obedience to the scriptures. We are keenly interested in Bible doctrine, for doctrine is that which is taught to us to believe, and God puts a premium on man's beliefs. Men can believe rightly or wrongly, 
when one becomes a Christian, he, quote, learns Christ, unquote. That's from Ephesians 4, 20 to 24. And wants to please the Lord by believing the same things that the Lord believes. To believe otherwise is to believe a lie. Unquote from our website there. And so at Fellowship Bible Church, we put a premium on the Word of God, teaching the Word of God, commanding the Word of God with authority, not just suggesting, not just giving you know, a kind of feel-good message, but a real message that is to help us in our behavior, to challenge us in our thinking, to transform our behavior, and to guard us from the false teaching of the world. And so Paul, with a very kind of simple way of putting it, a very concise way of putting it, tells Timothy to command and to teach. But that's not the only element that Timothy is to have in his uh, pastoral ministry, including uh, commanding and teaching. He is also to, also to minister by example. And we see this in verse 12, where Paul writes this, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Not only was Timothy charged to minister the word of God, commanding and teaching those things which Paul had written to the church, but he was also charged not to allow anyone to despise his youth. Interestingly, uh, I noted that many commentators believe that Timothy was somewhere in his late 20s to perhaps mid-30s or even late 30s. Of course, from my personal perspective, uh, this does not seem super young at all. I mean, I know I'm young, but it doesn't seem like that's, you know, super, super young. Of course, I know from, from others' perspectives, perhaps if you're in your 50s or 60s or 70s, maybe even 40s, if, you're in, if someone's in their 20s and 30s, well, that, you know, they're a young whippersnapper. They're, they're not aged at all. And so a lot of this is perhaps perspective. But I think what Paul is trying to teach Timothy and to teach us is to look past that kind of perspective of just simply thinking in age uh, categories and rather focus on the conduct of the person. And we'll look at that in just a moment. I note uh, or quote here from a, a theologian who, who kind of has some insight into the culture of that day. He says, while people normally wouldn't consider this too young for pastors in our culture to be, you know, late 20s, early 30s, certainly, you know, by that age, they, they, they could be pastoring. Leaders in the ancient world were typically older people who commanded respect in the community and possessed extensive life experience. However, I, I note, older does not necessarily always mean wiser or spiritually mature. Certainly, older people have more life experience. That's just a matter of fact. But if that experience is devoid of obedience to God's word, it lacks the spiritual value that someone younger may have because of their submission to the word of God, even in the short life that they've lived. And so Paul says this, do not, despise, do not let anyone despise your youth. And to despise means to look down on someone with contempt or aversion, with the implication that one considers someone of little value 
you know, you, you despise them, you scorn them, you kind of treat them with contempt. Some apparently criticized Timothy's commands and instruction on account of his relative youth. And that's the issue here. Paul, Paul is commanding Timothy to teach and command, but then we have this issue of some people don't want to listen to those commands and those teachings because, well, he's just, you know, look at him. Who is he? Who is this, you know, as I say, young punk telling us what to do? But what Paul is not saying is that Timothy then is to go around demanding respect. Don't despise me. You know, listen to what I have to say. It's not what Paul is is encouraging Timothy to do at all. Rather, the idea is that Timothy is to behave in such a manner that he gives no one any reason to despise him based on any legitimate reason. You know, in other words, you know, conduct versus age. He can't, there's nothing he can do about the age factor. He, he is what he is, you know. He's 20, he's 30, so he, he can't, you know, convince them otherwise of that. But what he can convince them of is that he is spiritually mature by the way he conducts himself so that when he teaches and when he commands and exhorts, they give him, you know, they give him the, uh, the position to, to do that and they give him their ears. In other words, what Timothy may have been lacking in years of experience in life, he should make up in spiritual maturity. You should not give them any reason to dismiss what he teaches on account of immaturity or misconduct. At the same time, then, Paul says, don't give any reason for someone to despise you because of your conduct. Rather, be an example. Be an example. If Timothy is an example to others in the following ways, then there will be no legitimate cause for others to despise Timothy as a person or his teaching. As a note of application for all of us, whether you know, you're a pastor or not, our behavior can either help or hinder our message. You might be a parent. Maybe you're a grandparent. Maybe you have nieces or nephews, and you desire to, to be an example to them. Your words matter, but I would suggest that your behavior matters just as as much, if, if not more, in some sense. Any parent will know, and I know I'm learning this, that you, you can say one thing, but if you don't abide by what you say, if you don't conduct yourself in a manner that uh, is, equates to what you say, is in accordance with what you say, then, then you know, are they going to give you any kind of... Uh, reason to, to listen to what you have to say. In fact, you know, just thinking of my own experiences, my young age, or growing up, many of the spiritual lessons I learned, spiritual truths I learned, I learned through the experience of watching others. I can't remember, honestly, half the messages that my own dad preached, you know, probably more than half, but I remember how he conducted himself. I remember how others in the church behaved and addressed matters in life and and, you know, worked through challenges in their life, how they looked to Christ for strength and for, uh, for direction. And so Paul is emphasizing to Timothy the, the great impact of his example, the impact that it can have for better or for worse. 
Our behavior, as I said then, can either help or hinder our message, what we're trying to teach or command or instruct in the church conduct or maybe in a family context. It can either bolster our words or undermine them. And so Paul then instructs in these areas that Timothy is to be above reproach, to be an example to others, to be such an impact on them that his own behavior begins to transform their thinking and their behavior. It's like he takes the print of himself and kind of and push it, you know, lays it upon them and, and leaves this imprint upon them so much so that they then begin to follow his example. We, we see this, uh, this kind of idea in 1 Corinthians 4, 16 in chapter 11, verse 1, where you know, Paul instructs them to imitate him just as he imitates Christ. And so it's not, a, it's not a, a prideful thing to say that. If you truly care for that person, you truly desire to see them become more like Christ, to say, you know, follow the example of this person. You know, the, the, it's, it's somewhat easier when there's some flesh and bones to look at, you know, and to see their behavior and say, follow them because I know by their behavior that they're following Christ. And so Paul instructs Timothy to be that person by which others can look at and follow Christ. He gives then a number of areas where he should lead by example. He says, first, in word, that is, in speech and communication. And this, this isn't just when he's teaching from the pulpit or wherever, you know, whatever kind of podium he had. It, it extends to all areas of life, both behind the pulpit and, in, and, you know, in the pew, so to speak, in the home, in the community. This includes all forms of communication, speaking or writing, uh, you know, in today's world, maybe through email, technology. All of these, you know, this captures the whole idea of communication. And we are to, and Timothy is to guard himself in his speech, at all times, in all places, even when other believers aren't watching. Your testimony amongst unbelievers is just as important as the believer. And so we don't leave the church this evening and go home and, you know, let loose in all kind of language or speech just because, well, you know, I don't have to worry about others watching me, you know, other believers that's not the kind of Christ-like mindset that the believer has. Rather, he, he, uh, he engages and he, he uh, follows after Christ at all times, privately and publicly. Secondly, Timothy is to set an example in his conduct. That is, his life, his behavior, his, his way of life. Think of these kinds of things, his, the honesty that he demonstrates, the integrity, the, the diligent work, the labor that he puts in, both in the ministry and in his personal life, faithfulness to family and obligations, purity, uh, you know, apparel, things like we talked about earlier on in 1 Timothy, how women are to conduct themselves, men as well, praying with, remember, holy hands, lifting up holy hands, all of one's conduct should be an example, not just certain areas. Thirdly, Timothy is to be an example in love. 
this is, of course, one of the believer's main commands, instructions, is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to what? Love your neighbor as yourself. This is kind of the summary of God's law, of God's word, to love. And so Timothy is to, to lead by example by his love. If you think, you know, kind of put yourself in Timothy's mind just for a moment and the great issues and problems he's dealing with here. Imagine the frustration of trying to not just, not just uh, to, you know, get these false teachers to stop teaching, but then to kind of have to re-instruct everyone in what's true and, you know, and kind of separate all this confusion and, and teach this sound doctrine and, and the kind of frustration, annoyance that you could even have against these false teachers, those who are creating these problems, and yet Timothy is at the same time to be an example of love, showing patience, not, showing, not being unloving even in his treatment of, of the false teachers. The next way in which Timothy is to be an example, the fourth is in spirit. Now, there are, um, there are some translations that don't include this because some of the manuscripts which we you know, draw our translations from or base them on don't include this, this word or this term spirit. Um, however, you know, it may be that, they, they, uh, that some manuscripts included this because of what Colossians uh, 1.8 has to say. And let me just read that. I don't think it's worth saying if we don't read it. Colossians 1.8. Uh, it says, uh, let me just back up. It says, uh, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the spirit. And uh, here, you know, they, they take this to mean the Holy Spirit. So your love is manifested through the work of the spirit. So it could mean that Holy Spirit, or simply it might be the spirit of a person you know, who has a loving kind of spirit, you know, characterized by, by love. And so that might be the idea here. Probably certainly refers to, to one's demeanor, how they, how they uh, you know, conduct themselves, how they, how they manifest their love for others. Of course, ultimately, this, as I said, is a reflection of the work of the Holy Spirit. The reason one can be, have a demeanor of love or a demeanor of joy or purity whatever the case may be, is because of the Spirit's work in them. So whether, that, you know, whether we include it or not, I think there's legitimate reason to say that we are uh, to be an example in spirit, in the way that we manifest the work of Christ, the work of the Spirit in us. Fifthly, Timothy is to be an example in faith. That is, exemplary and personal faith. This isn't talking, as sometimes the case is, about the body of faith, the body of truths we believe in. This is, this is the personal faith that Timothy had, and I hope you have. And so Paul instructs us to be an example in our personal faith. That is, in sound doctrine and good works, both the, the practical side and the theological side of it. We are to be an example of and how we submit to the word of God and accept it as the truth, accept sound doctrine, and then also how we live that doctrine out, or the personal kind of faith that we have in Jesus Christ should be an example to others. And then finally, Paul says, in purity. Purity of mind, of course, 
not just action, but in one's thoughts. This obviously includes sexual conduct, our behavior around other men or other women, and of course what we say as well, the words we use, the, which are a reflection of our heart and where our mind is. All of these, I know, are outwardly observable qualities that Timothy was to be an example in for the purpose of effective ministry, for the purpose of effective ministry. And so as we conclude this evening, I just want to encourage you with these two thoughts. You may not have the, uh, may not have quite the same role as Timothy had when it comes to commanding and teaching, especially if you're not a pastor or a teacher in the, you know, uh, behind the pulpit, but you can be an example to other believers. Even if you're young, don't allow your age to be a reason which people despise you. And the vice versa is kind of true as well. I mean, if you're, if you're a young person, you look at the old person and say, you know, who are they? You know, they don't know anything about, you know, today's, you know, age. You know, they're stuck in the past or whatever the case may be. Don't have that kind of mindset. If you don't want them to look down on you for your age, then honor them as well. And Scripture instructs us to do that, to show honor and to respect uh, those in authority and, of course, those uh, older than us, especially those who are spiritually mature and have that kind of wisdom. So my desire for us, then, is to be an example to other believers, as Timothy was to be, in conduct in love, and in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Let's close with a word of prayer this evening. Heavenly Father, we pray now as we go, may you help us, Lord, to give no one, not another believer, not a neighbor, not a parent, not a child, no one, Lord, a reason to despise us on account of our conduct. Lord, may we live to glorify you, to bring honor to your name. Lord, not just to bring yeah, honor to our name by behaving well, but ultimately to glorify your name, to bring no reproach upon the name of Christ, upon his church. Lord, we know by doing so, you, you will use us to lead other believers to greater spiritual maturity and perhaps even lead an unbeliever to believe in Christ because of the outworking of your spirit, the, so the evidence of God's work in that person's life. Pray that would be true for us even this week. Help us, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.